0: Welcome in. you are listening to another episode of KeepTheChange.co.nz's Money Mail. You may think, whoa, half the time I come here to find out what the intro song is going to be and you have just sold us short here, young fella, because you didn't even have one. Well, we're going to do it a little bit differently today. And why we're going to do it a little bit differently is because on the way here, I saw that someone who I follow closely and who you would have heard myself and Mikey reference a number of times called Ray Dalio has a new video where he is interviewed by some person from Bloomberg. And he sums up really, really well what is going on. And I think it's really important for all of us to understand this, because if we can understand it, We can also understand that this is nothing new, that it has happened before. And Ray Dalio, at a very high level, is one of the most successful investors of all time. And he studies history, he builds principles, he invests based on those principles, he lives based on those principles, and he looks at things that are going on from a completely different lens because he has gone so far back into history. Now this clip is going to take you a little while to get through, but please listen to this and understand because it will make so much more sense when you see what is going on in the world. And you will learn that this isn't something new. It's just new for us because we haven't seen it for some time, but a number of the things that you'll be seeing at a smaller level playing out in New Zealand, around the world, you'll be like, ah, oh, okay, that's that pillar, oh, that's that pillar, oh, people are getting really wound up about politics because of that pillar, oh, wealth inequality, etc, etc. So Ray is going to explain that to you. I have this on 1.5 times speed, but he's a pretty slow speaker anyway, so I hope that you should be able to hear it. I'm going to hit play and I'll see you on the other side and we'll quickly talk about that and then we'll rip into this week's lesson.
1: Look at the long term. Long term, where are we headed? Well, it's most important to me to not just answer questions like higher, or lower or whatever, but to try to explain the mechanics, the cause-effect relationships that are going on, right? Um, and the reason I did this study, which then turned into a book, and I'm just a practical markets decision maker, is that three big things happen to my are happening in our lifetimes that never happened before. Uh, that, let me say that again. Three things that surprise us that haven't happened in our lifetimes but happened many times through history are the creation of an enormous amount of debt and debt monetization. The second is the internal conflict, the large wealth gaps and an internal conflict that makes the politics of uh, populism and so on. And the third is the great power conflict, uh, comparable powers of the United States and China and the possibilities of war. Uh, but back to, to your question in terms of the mechanics, there are very basic, simple things that there is, um, there is a debt cycle. There are short debt cycles. We're used to those. They last on average about seven years, give or take about three. Um, and you know, you have a recession and interest rates are, uh, are low, inflation is low, and the Federal Reserve becomes stimulative, and then you have growth. You have non-inflationary growth and you have inflationary growth and they tighten monetary policy. And then you have a slow up or the recession that follows until the cycle participates. We, uh, it happens that way. We've had 12 of those. We're in the 13th. We're about halfway through that cycle. We're at the point where interest rates have to rise. Okay, so the level of interest rates, it's you have to satisfy a debtor and a creditor. And so that means interest rates have to be high enough that the creditor gets a real return, higher than their money. And so, and if you don't do that, you create the cycle that we have before, where money is essentially free, interest rates are nil, or in some cases negative, and you have a situation where you don't have to pay principal, so money was essentially free. Then that imbalance is enormous, and it's made more enormous because even then the supply demand is not adequate. There's not enough demand to buy those bonds. And so the Federal Reserve's got to come in there and print money and buy those bonds and redistribute wealth. So you have that, so now you're moving, we have moved to a level of real interest rates. Think about inflation. Um, That is, uh, depending on how you calculate, if you look at tips or if you look at short-term interest rates, they need a one to one and a half percent real rate. Those days that we have seen in the past are over and there's a big adjustment in that. So the the headline for that is, so who have been the losers? Who have been the winners and who have been the losers? This is a different kind of uh, debt problem in that what happened is, in order to create this big transfer of wealth that there needed to be in various ways, Uh, the government borrowed a lot of money because they spent a lot more than they earned and they sell a lot of bonds. And then the Federal Reserve buys bonds and it subsidizes those bonds. And so the big losers of this cycle has not been the individual balance sheets because the individual balance sheets have been improved. It is the fact that those who are holding government debt are the ones that are having the losses. So the central banks have all lost a lot of money. Um, The commercial banks bought a lot of these debts. So when we look at the commercial banking problem, it is largely a government debt problem because there was the financing of holding bonds with short-term interest rates, and so that was the squeeze. So you have that particular dynamic. As we move forward, um, the higher you raise the debt-to-income ratio, the more difficult that balancing act becomes. And so we're seeing a trade-off now that interest rates have got to be high enough for the creditor, but not too high for the debtor. And so you're seeing now this adjustment in which you're having sort of a 1%-ish growth rate, not the household sector having a problem, but uh, the, those who are holding the bonds and, and so on, they're having the problems. And so you're seeing growth come down with still an inflation um, issue. The inflation issue comes from two parts, really. Uh, first of all, if you spend a lot more than you earn um, and you give a lot of money in credit, you're going to have inflation. But um, it also comes from the supply-demand bond of uh, bonds. So if you look at who's benefiting in this, the household sector, the workers, are, are benefiting. <clears throat> this isn't a classic recession in which the unemployment rate goes up because the unemployment rate is remaining relatively good because there's wealth transfer, and you have um, and they are also having higher wage gauges. And then you have the inefficiency of the global supply chains, which has uh, happens there. So what that means, I think, is that you have this stubbornly high inflation. We're not going to go down to our targets for a number of reasons. And then there has to be the real interest rates remaining high in that, and that creates a sort of stagflation kind of environment so let's talk about that stubborn
0: well there you go so I just want to apologize firstly because fuck, if you're not into economics and stuff you're probably like wow I skipped a lot of that and I'm not going to blame you because it is really hard to understand now this person is one of the most articulate I've come across at explaining these things and even when I listen to that and then put myself in your shoes and think okay they're probably like I still don't get it that's really really hard But let's just go back to some of the basics and one of the key things that he studies in history all the time is that we end up at the end of a debt cycle, a short and a long term. You can go back and listen to him explain that again. There's conflict and then that creates populism in um, politics and things like that which I think we're definitely seeing. I would call a lot of our politicians influencers rather than actually leaders and I think that's a byproduct of the populism type thing that we're in. Uh, a lot of us may like a politician, but have no real idea what it is that they actually would or wouldn't do if they're involved. But there's a lot of talk about that stuff as well. And there's large wealth gaps. So then we're going, well, this is bullshit. How does this work? This seems unfair. Um, the Greens can come out with a whole heap of stats around wealth and stuff like that. We can have the commentary around rich people not paying their fair share. And we're like, you know, that's so, it's like fuel on a fire because. We're all in this moment of, this just doesn't seem right. And so this is nothing new. We've been here a number of times before. But then also we have a threat to the global leader, which was the USA. And they have been for a number of years. And we've done a whole pod on that. And you have China kind of going, well, we're sparking some shit up over here. You've got Russia as well. So there's a really high chance of war. And if we look back, for a lot of us, we're like, well, There's always been things that are going on in the world but it doesn't feel like it's been that global. But now it feels like we're actually quite close to that and that is quite scary. So there's all of these things playing out but as Ray explains and you can go and read his entire book and go and watch more um, videos where he explains this stuff, this has all happened before and it's usually sort of the end of a cycle and these things can often happen and overlap each other. And that's how this person has basically invested their entire life. And he has a great saying that Mike and I often talk about is, uh, if you're worried, you probably don't need to be. If you're not worried, you probably should be. And what that basically means is that if you're just living with your head in the sand, blase, which you're not because you're listening to this stuff, you're trying to understand. When these things come out of nowhere, people are freaking out. And We've got examples of that in recent pods where people are saying, you know, I, I feel depressed at where my interest rate is. I can't believe this. You know, this just seems so unfair. All these things. But really, there's been 12 OCR increases, and every time there is, there's a major story on the news, and you can't get away from this shit. But you can if you choose not to look at it, right? So they're not worried, and they probably should have been. And then they get to the point where they really have to but it manifests into depression and anxiety and fuck this and this politician should have done better and the Reserve Bank should have done this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, We shouldn't have capitalism or we should have this society or we should be doing these things instead of being like, if I just took some action two years ago and, and, and had a bit more worry, then I might not be so worried now. So that's what that whole concept is about. And then on the other side, a lot of us that are listening to this and trying to understand these things, there's a risk for us as well that we over-worry about these things so then we don't take any action. You know, we're we are we're worried about what the exact bottom of the housing market is so then we won't, you know, we won't actually go and have a look at the houses and buy our first home, even though that's the main goal that we have in our life if that's your profile set up, right? And so you'll over-worry about this shit instead of going, look, I should probably just keep moving forward to get closer to the things that I want. And as well, towards the back end of that clip, he's explaining about how something that we've taught you for a long time, You and I were saying, look, inflation and interest rates could be here for longer because basically he's saying that the, they're not going to get back to their inflation target. So you really need to be prepared for that. And look, Ray could be wrong, but gee, I've been following and studying this dude for a number of years and it's been very good for me to understand, oh, okay, this is just history playing out again. And I didn't study history at school, so I have a very, and I was never interested in it, so I have a very, I always like looking into the future rather than the past as well, and I've learned that about my personality, and I won't go into all the details and try and figure it out, but when I do go and look, I, I enjoy it, but then I jump straight back out of it, and, and I'm off into the future again, but for some people, they love studying the past, and it's kind of comforting to know, okay, this is a shit storm, however... There's people who have been through this before, you know, how many recessions has Warren Buffett been through, for instance, and things like that, and you realise, okay, the world keeps spinning, it keeps turning, we've just got to enjoy the time that we do get whilst we're here. And there's some stuff in there about real interest rates as well, and that's basically about what are you earning on your money after inflation is eating into that as well. So some really cool stuff uh, in there, and I just thought I'd play that for you because that's what I was listening to to start my day well my journey up to work. So it's a Saturday for me and I've kind of gone into pro mode so I thought I'd just share that with you as well about what that means to me. So basically you would have heard I've been on a number of trips, Uh, May was a bit of a write-off for me, I still got a lot done and I have a value and that is output over input so that basically means I should be producing more than I consume. Whether that be foods, whether it be getting in exercise, gym, uh, whether it be social media, whether it be Um, What am I consuming on um, the TV, for instance? Am I actually going back out there and and producing to counter the consumption that I have? Am I giving more than I am taking? Um, Am I saving more than I'm spending? So that's what that value means to me. So every now and then, I dive back into what I call pro mode. So before I went away, I could see May was going to be drinking, traveling, lack of sleep, um, back-to-back bloody days having beers with the boys, um, events, hosting people, like all sorts of shit. So before I even got into May, I wrote down a list, okay, who is Luke going to become post-May? And I write down the things that I know that I'm going to need to start doing. And then I've got an anchorage of, okay... I'll check back into that halfway through my May. So halfway through, I'd been to America, I'd done that part of it, and I'm like, okay, I need to remind myself, what did I say in April that I was going to start becoming post this month because I'm halfway through it now. And so then I go, I'm like, okay, cool, I've got that in place already. I've started thinking about that. Yes, I've set up that automatic payment, um, et cetera, et cetera. I've got to start having some conversations with my partner, for instance, about, you know, there's less dinners or whatever, or it's Let's Go Cheaper. And so I'm starting to think about all those things and then I go away again to the Philippines and I do that bit, but I enjoy my May and I fucking thrive in it because I'm not worried like, oh man, I need to be back doing this stuff. It's basically like, no, this was May, you already knew it was going to be like this. The important thing is when we get back into June, we're into a new season. So pro mode basically means... I go pro and I fucking produce as well so I've got to get a lot of shit done. So I'm booking meetings with people that I know I need to speak to and that's going to then get me to the next uh, outcome of that meeting of what are the things I need to do. As an example, meeting yesterday with someone who helps me with some of the marketing stuff and they're like, I'd really like to see these things. and I'm like, I can't do all of that in one go for you but I'll drip feed some of it for you and then I come in my Saturday morning into the office and I've done some of the things that they want me to do. So I'm trying to increase my production and kind of go into professional production producer mode, pro mode, so that I can balance out the fact that May for me wasn't as much like that. However, as well, I know that uh, winter is a tough period for a lot of people, so I like to think, right, I've got to keep getting into the gym, this is the months where you don't want to do that stuff, you don't want to get into the ice bath, Um, it's easy to sleep in, all those types of things, so I'm thinking... The world starts coming at you differently as the weather changes in these times, and especially off the back of a holiday where it's been amazing to get out of New Zealand and stuff. So I've got to be mindful of that, and I've got to squeeze the time that I do have to ensure that I am producing. So you know I've got a presentation coming up at Wellington College for the Year 11 boys coming up. So that's two or so weeks away, but I'm chipping away at those presentation slides and making sure that I've got a lot of that done so I'm bringing forward a lot of the stuff that's in the future into the moments where I could just be chilling or pissing around or just taking it easy because I had my easiness in May and then as always, when you plan for this stuff, what happens? You get fucking sick, don't you? So I've ended up getting a little bit crook this week, uh, but I haven't let that get in the way of me taking action and making momentum. However, and i also worked Queen's Birthday Monday when a lot of people wouldn't have uh, because I had access to my team who are overseas and they don't get the Monday off, and so they've got a he- whole heap holidays coming up, and I'm like, well, instead of just doing nothing on this Monday, I'm going to work with them and we're going to get some shit done. So again, just what can I grab onto that I can actually live into this uh, pro mode but you know, I'm not an advocate for oh, just thrash yourself and work every single day and all that sort of stuff, there's time and a place for that shit but eventually you've got to look after yourself, you've got to rest, you've got to prioritise sleep and um, your mental health, your physical health, all those different types of things, you've got to figure out for yourself how they all overlap but eventually you will get a moment where you just can't actually do the things that you want to because your body will be like, oh well, you're sick now. Cop this. So for me, I've been lucky; it hasn't been uh, too bad, but it uh, it's still frustrating. Now, before we get into muddy mail as well, I just want to explain a principle that I was relearning throughout the week, and I think this will help a lot of you. And I was actually talking to my partner last night about this. So it's called the four C's. Now, the four C's are uh, commitment and courage and uh capability I'm actually writing them down as we go but I don't know why cuz I've actually got them written down um and confidence now let's say to put this into a practical example for you you are a um you're a teacher well yeah let's say you're a teacher and you want to make some extra cash and you think okay I would have to start a my own tutoring platform to be able to do that. A, your thinking is wrong because you really just need to go and find somebody who needs to be taught and ask if they will give you money to do that. So really, that's how simple you have to keep it. But what a lot of us will do is we will find reasons why we don't have the capability to do the thing that we should do. So we think, look you know, I, I've never done any one-on-one tutoring before. Therefore, I don't have the capability. Um, therefore, I'm, pro- I'm probably not going to do it. Now, unless you commit, you won't get that capability because you'll never actually go and do that. Or you might be like, oh, I might, like, I might do one of the volunteering ones. And then once I've done that, I, I might try and do a paid one. But you also think, oh, but I've, I've I don't actually know what to say. I don't know how to find that person. I don't have the capabilities. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do some tutoring, but I'm going to wait till I have the capability to do it. So I'm going to have to learn like, what do I say and stuff? And then you delay it, you delay it, you delay it, nothing happens. So what what we think we need is we need confidence. Like I need confidence to put myself out there that I could do some private tutoring. But that's actually incorrect what you need is courage. You need courage to do it. So confidence feels good. When, you, when you're confident, you feel really good. When you, courage, like with courage, it doesn't feel good. So that, when you're when you about to do something like, fuck, this doesn't feel good, not like, oh, this doesn't feel right, I don't know if I should do it. But when you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I just, oh, this that's pretty nervy for me. That's because it's courage speaking, not confidence. But we confuse the two. So what we actually need is to reverse the order. So what we do is we go, look, I need to make some more cash from tutoring a student. Bang, I'm going to commit to it. You pull out your phone and you go on Instagram and you change the background to black and you type and you say, I'm looking for one student who needs to be tutored this term. Get in touch with me if you'd like help with math, science, English, whatever. And you hit send and you've committed to it and then bang, you wait. And you wait and you see. And that takes courage to do that because you're like, oh shit, you know, what? I don't know what to say, all these different types of things. You're not supposed to know what to say. This is what we talk about when we say you get to learn the skills of becoming this person. So you've got to lean on having some courage to then commit. And then someone gets in touch and they're like, hey, yeah, actually I need help with my math. And instantly, you go back into teacher mode. You're like, oh, okay, sweet. Well, I'm, I'm a good math teacher. Yeah, I can. yeah, sweet. What stuff? Oh, algebra. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm pretty good at that. Sweet. Let's do it. And you've got the capability already. So then you deliver that. And as you're delivering it, they're learning heaps. And they're not thinking, oh, I wonder if this person, you know, doesn't have any confidence and capability in what they're doing. They're like, fuck, old mate's a teacher here. They can probably help me with my algebra. This is so sick. This might mean that I may not fail. And my parents are happy to pay for this. Brilliant. Or they're a uni student or whatever and you're doing that, they've got confidence in you, you get confidence in yourself, and you're like, fuck, sweet, I did that, mean, okay, that that works. And so then you get the confidence. Unfortunately, we don't get taught this shit, do we? So a lot of us are like, well, i got to get the capability first, and once I've got the capability, then I can go out there and I'll have the confidence. Now, this is no different. You go to university, for instance, if you uh, went down that path, and you're like, nah, you know, can't do X, Y, Z because I've, I've got to get the capabilities first and so we get taught that that's the right way to do things and, and sometimes that is necessary in different industries, right? And then you go out into the market and then you get your job and you th- you're full of fucking confidence because you think, oh, I did my uni degree, I'm, I'm going to clock this accounting gig and then you, your boss is like, hey, can you wind this company up for me? Can you please do three sets of accounts? Um, can you please figure out how to do a dividend? Oh, there's this you need to do, a uh, subvention payment from this company to the other. And you're like, oh, my God, I don't remember any of this shit from uni. I did not even know if I did it. But I fucking tell you who does know how to do it, Google. Google, what is the subvention payment? How do I do it? And then you actually start doing it. So you start to lose your ego of like, ah, oh, okay. But we push people down a funnel of you've got to get the capability first and then that will build your confidence up. But for a lot of us, a lot of the times it is just commit. And I still have to do this. So today, for instance, I know that I need to start doing YouTube ads and I'm like well, I just need to make one and I've made two or three today and I know that in six months time I'll look back and be like they were shit but here's what I'll learn over the next six months of running those ads and making those videos and trying to create the scripts and stuff like that so the lesson there for you is that if you're putting something off because you think you need the capability to do it have a good conversation with yourself and actually just ask yourself do you already have the capability to deliver that? Maybe it's actually just commitment that you need to lean on to get yourself started. And you will have heard so many people just say, oh, just get started and figure it out as you go. So basically, that is what the four C's is. That is people summarizing without understanding what the concept of those four C's is. Now, Dan Sullivan is the teacher of that 4Cs framework, and he's been teaching people in business and entrepreneurship and stuff for a long time. But we can all put that into different areas of our life. So I hope that that uh, got you thinking and helped you. Now, let's get into this week's Money Mail, as it's quite a grunty one. And if we don't, we could be here for half an hour before we even start. So the title of this one is, What Does a $150 Bag Cost? Now, this was inspired by somebody who posted it on Instagram, actually, over in America, and I was like, oh, that's quite a cool thing to talk about for Kiwis, and I made a video about this around subway footlongs at one stage too, and I kind of merged two topics into one, and I started writing this on my flight uh, over to wherever I was going, somewhere, um, over to Asia, actually, and that's, again, example for me, is I don't sit there and go like, oh, I don't have a whole money mail in me right now, so I won't even start. I'm like, just pull up my pad and my pen or my keyboard and my note and I just start writing and I write might write 50% of it and one go 40 sometimes 80 sometimes 95 and then I come back and I flesh it out and I add more and I read it, and I'm like man that doesn't even make sense what about putting this in what if we put a story in what if we put an example in and then I flesh it out completely so that's me committing it's not me going like I don't have the capability to write an entire article about that right now fuck, I don't care, I'm committing and I'm going to find it and find that capability as I go. And the more that I do it, because it's been three years now, I just uh, create confidence that I can do it and that I will finish that article at some stage or even I might even just zone in and be like, I've got to do the whole thing right now. And sometimes I have to do that if I'm under time pressure. But I have the courage to start the writing and I commit to it. And sometimes like, oh, I don't feel like doing this, but I know, well, just, just get some shit out and the rest of it will figure itself out as it goes, and then I have the confidence to know that I can do that in other areas of my life as well, so those things start to move over into different areas. Now, for many of us, we price things in units we can measure. Now, I'm a big fan of Subway. It's easily my most ordered fast food. I don't know if it's healthy or not, but I can't resist it. Who doesn't love a foot long or to get a six-inch in yeah? Honestly, I get it all the time uh, if I need to get something to eat. Now, you and I are both don't need the cookie upsell or the $6, $6 bottle of Coke. Gee, they put some margin on the products that they try and sell you to really bolt on some margin into uh, the sale price. So those are margin builders, I believe. And especially in these inflationary times, you want to be keeping an eye out for what other shit you try and be sold as an upsell when you go to buy your core products. It might be getting a cookie or adding the Coke on. Do you really need that shit? Be mindful of that stuff when financial times are tough, inflation's here, and every dollar counts. Now my love for a footlong meant that for years when I would go other places to buy lunch I would compare the price against a footlong. That sandwich isn't worth it. It's way too expensive. I could get a footlong for that. So what I would often do is I might get a footlong and it might be 15 or 16 bucks back in the day or probably even like 12 bucks and then I would go other places and there'd be a shitty sandwich and it'd be 15 bucks and I'd think fuck that ain't worth it because I could get a footlong for that and I would do this all the time and I would do it and with people that I'm with, and they'll be like, oh, dude, shut up. Like, we're not at Subway. And I got stuck in that mentality for quite some time. And it actually, if I think about it, it it started encouraging me to think more scarcely. And i would be with people, and they'll be like, well, bro, I'll buy you this sandwich. Just shut up. Like, just get on. You're not even paying. So why are you saying that? And I was just stuck in this, like, oh, I'm just comparing everything to what a perfect, cheapish meal is. In, uh, in Subway and sometimes it wasn't even me paying and so I could see how I was frustrating people but I lived in a constant mode of comparison instead of just enjoying what was in front of me and accepting what things were going to cost now for many of us we get paid by the hour we go out shopping and then price things on a per hour basis i.e if you earn $30 an hour you may price $150 back as five hours of work five threes at 15 right it can't, uh, can often be good for us to understand how many hours of work items are going to cost us. This may encourage or discourage you to purchase it, so you do need to think about what this is doing to you. So on the positive side, this can lead to greater appreciation for the items of service you purchase and a more cautious approach to spending. Regularly evaluating prices in terms of your hourly wage can serve as a motivator to explore higher paying job opportunities, becoming more valuable or seeking professional growth. Now what that means is you might use it to a positive where you look at things and you think, wow, you know, that took me eight hours to earn that. And it's the kick up the ass for you that you need where you think, I'm going to find a job that pays me a bit more or I'm going to figure out how I become a bit more valuable uh, or I can get into the next role so that then I get a higher salary or higher wage and those things that I want aren't going to take as many hours to earn. It may also lead to reflecting on the value you place on your time and whether your current employment, earning capacity aligns with your personal goals and aspirations. One thing we need to remember is taxes. The accountant had to bring up bloody taxes again, didn't I? We don't get paid in pre-tax dollars though. We get paid in after-tax dollars, don't we? So if you get paid $30 per week and you do 2,080 hours per year, which is 52 weeks times 40 hours, you would earn $62,400 before tax. And I'm going to say that you're contributing 3% to KiwiSaver in this example as well. Now after tax, ACC and KiwiSaver, you would have $47,833.28 left in your hand or your pocket. So if you divide this by those 2,080 hours, you're actually on $23 per hour. That $150 bag is no longer five hours work, but in fact, six and a half hours of work. Yikes. Now, this is really important because often I'll hear people say, oh, that's, you know, that's five hours work, but it's not because they're pricing it in pre-tax dollars. So it's just something, again, for us to keep an eye on how our brains are looking at these things. And why it's also important is that most of you will be earning over $48,000 per year. So for every dollar above that, you're going to be taxed at 30% until you earn over 70000 then every dollar above 70000 will be taxed at 33%. Now, this is the 10th of June, 2023. I've got a feeling the tax rates might change at the next election. So some of these tax examples that I've given over the years, I imagine at some stage are going to change. And I'm not going to go back and record every single episode that I've talked about tax. Uh, we'll just start to update them as the rules change as well. But at the moment, income above $48,000 to 70000 taxed at 30%, above 70000 at 33%. Now for two or three percent of you uh, weapons out there, you'll be earning over $180,000 and you'll be getting taxed at 39%. But why we need to be careful of this is that we will go and get debt and for every increase that we get, Above say say we're on uh, fifty thousand dollars, we get a two thousand dollar pay rise from forty eight to fifty thousand dollars. That two thousand dollars is gonna be taxed at thirty percent. So we're gonna lose thirty percent of that two thousand dollars, right? But you can go to the bank and get a two grand credit card and you sort of think, oh well, you know, sweet, I got a two grand pay rise. But it doesn't work like that. So given two thousand and eight. 80 hours of minimum wage nearly takes you these days to the 30% tax rate for income above 48K. And our median income in New Zealand as well is now above $60,000. You must understand this concept. So when you innocently take on new debt like a credit card or consumer finance, you need to repay this debt with after-tax income. And often we think about a credit card or an access to credit as sort of an extension Of our income but it's an extension of our after-tax income so a two grand credit card increase will really take most of a $3,000 pay rise to be able to repay so if you get a two grand credit card and you max it out and then you go you're like oh I'm gonna get a pay rise you're gonna need a three grand pay rise over an a year to actually be able to repay that $2,000 because you're gonna lose a chunk of that to tax you got your KiwiSaver etc now let's get back into the comparison type stuff I've got a question for you. What do you use to compare purchases to? And a few people have emailed me since telling me that they, um, they'll they compare prices to how many times they're going to use it and they start to break it down in percentage uh, cost per usage and all sorts of different things. And they're comparing running shoes to high heels. It was quite interesting the different things that people were sending through. But everybody has got different things that they anchor things against. You know, For instance, a real estate agent, might think, well, that's just one more house sale. So they might think about putting a spa in at their house and that spa is going to be 15 grand by the time it's installed or whatever. And they think, oh, well, you know, that's just a sale of one Auckland property. Okay, sweet. Yeah, I, I can do it. Um, but for for other people, they might it might be the ability to work overtime. And they they might think, well, that's just a few more hours of overtime. But you've got to think about the after-tax amount as well. So we often price things in the currency that we swap, hours for some, number of goods or services for others. If this is not serving you well, you you don't want to get stuck here as it can be hard to let go of and not understand the impact that this is having you, i.e. you're pissing all your mates off when you keep talking about um, oh, this is a shit place to come for dinner because we could have got Subway for this. I'm like, yeah, but we didn't want Subway, you dickhead. So, on the negative side, if you frequently perceive prices in terms of your hourly rate, for instance, it may lead to increased stress and frustration, particularly if you feel that items or experiences are unaffordable or require a significant amount of your time to earn. So, you might have to go and do something and pay for it. You're like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know, that's eight hours of work that I've just had to swap to go and get that X ray on my sore back that I've been complaining about for three months you know and so then you'll put off doing things like that because you're like that just doesn't seem like it's got a great value to it. So that constant mental calculation can create a sense of financial pressure and potentially impact your well-being as well. So you might also fall into the trap of prioritising items that provide immediate gratification instead of long-term benefits i.e. Buying now to hire or oh, buying now to make the hours you put in feel rewarding instead of investing for the long term and feeling like you got nothing back in return right now. Now that is the key paragraph of this. Basically, you might fall into the trap of prioritizing items that provide immediate gratification instead of long-term benefits. Have we all done this? Down to the pub on a Friday to smack some beers, wake up the next day, I spent 250 bucks how much did I invest this week? 25. You drank 10 times more than the automatic payment you have set up to put into your savings account or into your investment portfolio. Because you know what, I'm not going to fucking feel that great from that AP into my shares, are you? No, because future you is going to benefit from that, not here and now, Friday down the bloody local bounce for a couple of lagers you is it so I've been here I've done this stuff and this is where I see these things I'm like oh yeah I used to do that but also what's real crook about this is this is why things like buy now pay later are so exciting and they work so well because they're tapping in to the fact that we can't really afford something we don't actually have the money in the here and now and they're like well here's a solution you could pay it off in four installments and we'll give you this pastel thing thing to allow you to do that. And you get that immediate gratification of boom, new shoes. But did you invest the same amount of money? Of course you didn't. Because most people that are using buy now, pay later, and whatnot, they're still stuck in the trap of instant, immediate gratification rather than thinking about longer term. And longer term is really hard to think about because it's boring. And you're not getting anything in return. So every time I increase my contribution to or pay out to KiwiSaver, I'm like, well, I know that's a good idea, but fuck, it is boring. I could easily take that money and go do something real exciting, have a dinner with somebody, I don't know, start saving for a trip again or something like that. And that's going to be more exciting, isn't it? But... I know deep down that I need to be contributing to savings, investments and things because I'm going to have a need for those in the future. But this is very, very important for all of us to understand because that concept of immediate gratification and instant gratification, it's so at us in the here and now, especially in these days, and it's so easy to not actually see what people, how people are manipulating us with great products that they put in front of us to, to discourage us and stop us thinking about the longer term and the fact that yeah, it is boring to pay down your credit card. You know, I did it for twenty-six fortnights. Five hundred bucks a fortnight. Bang, gone. First thing I do, Westpac, can I please decrease my credit card limit? I'm like, fuck. Gotta wait two whole weeks again to get paid. And you know what I'm gonna do? Have the same shitty phone call. And I was repaying the sins of my past because I had already had the instant gratification of you'll give me a fifteen K credit card. <coughs> go on, then I won't even spend that, and then, boomfa. anyway, you've heard that story, if you haven't, go back and check out the 30 and 30, you can hear more about my journey through some of those uh, stupid things that I did, and how I've learnt, and now, still get tempted to do them, but try not to, now, Back to it, you may also undervalue experiences that don't align with your hourly wage slash how you price things, i.e. you may see other people's spending as wasteful without understanding how they see the value of that spending and how they price things as being worthwhile to them. I do this all the time, I'm like, that looks like a waste of money, why would they do that? That might be the best thing that they did that week. I'm sitting here, I've got a gold pen in front of me, I brought two pens the other day, it was $15, and even I was like, what the fuck, $15, I wish I got the receipt to find out, but I'm so stoked with my gold pen. I'm like, oh, this is, a, this is a sick gold pen. Shout out to Uni Ball Signo Broad Gold. This is one sexy gold pen. I got a gold and a blue. This gold is from the Mitsubishi Pencil Co. Now, you might be listening to this thinking, I knew this guy was a fucking loser, but seriously, he's getting excited about buying two pens. Honestly, when I buy a new pen, it probably gives me one of the greatest things that I can buy. It's uh it feels it feels something to me. So yes, I've got a bit on, I am strange, and I do like a nice pen. Um, but equally I'll go look and sometimes in the those containery locked things, what are those called? Cabinets, I think is containery locked things. Good one, Dickie. Cabinets. Locked cabinets. They'll have those real fancy pens. I can't even remember what they're called. Parker pens, I think, or something. And the are hundreds. And I'm like, fuck, what a waste of money. Who would pay that for a pen? But you're listening probably thinking, well, why did this dickie just pay $15 for two pens? So we've all got different ways that we're going to look at things, right? But the key point here is how strangers spend their money most probably isn't worthwhile being too much of your concern. However, in relationships, this shit does matter, doesn't it? Because we've all been in a situation where our partner buys something and we're thinking, okay, are you serious? Like how many times is this going to happen? And you have those uncomfortable situations and you've got to talk through those things and you've got to try and figure out uh, some middle ground. But when you start doing it with just strangers, fuck, what's it got to do with you? You're only going to make your life feel worse by judging what they do uh, with their cash. So this narrow perspective may limit your ability to appreciate non-monetary aspects of life as well. It's a very complex topic to understand because all of us are so very, very different. And I was a little bit nervy. Well, not nervy, but this was a hard one to write because it's so different for all of us. And so that's why I've tried to give some more uh, examples and stuff, especially through the podcast, and, and try and explain what I'm talking about. So some people may find pricing things in hours as empowering and motivating, while others are going to think this is stressful and actually creating negative feelings for themselves. Ultimately, like most financial things, finding a balance between financial awareness and maintaining a healthy mindset is crucial. My challenge for you is to be mindful of this and see if you catch yourself doing this. Is it serving you well or is it hindering you? And before you buy, remember, a $150 bag is... Oh, damn it, I got the sentence wrong. $150 bag, five hours work. Is a $150 bag, five hours work when you make $30 an hour? Well We know the answer is no because you're going to have to pay in after tax. I want you to have a thoughtful weekend. Now, as a further example for you, some people wouldn't have contributed their minimum, I think it's $1,043 to KiwiSaver by 30 June, and they'll have some cash sitting there to do it, and they're like, I'm not going to do that because... I don't want that free $521, even though it's a 50% return. It's very hard to get a 50% return these days, but you're never going to see that money again until you're 65 or whenever and so you're thinking, fuck, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to use that money instead to go and buy an iPad or to uh, go on a trip next weekend or whatever it is that you're doing. And that's a good example of how we know we should be doing things for the longer term and we'll end up regretting not doing them in the longer term but we're going to get more immediate and instant gratification to do them in the here and now. So we're constantly playing against this battle of the long game versus the short-term gratification. Now did you know that you're one of over six, uh, seven thousand 7,650 recipients and a number of people listen to this on the podcast as well, i.e. you guys, 30,000 monthly listeners in May. How good. Now, also, our fact for the week, Treasury expects wage growth will decline from a peak of 7.4% in September 2022 to 4.2% by mid-2027. What are you going to do to continue on your own wage growth? Now, I spoke about this briefly with Mikey on a pod the other day. The reason I'm highlighting this is that people are going to think that the pay rises that they got over the last couple of years are quite normal. And I've learned some concepts about inflation and what should my pay rise be you know, before tax? And is that meaning I'm better off um, with inflation or not? And we're going to get to a point where that's just not going to be viable for a business to be able to increase people's pay rates by that. And so Treasury is saying, well, we're actually expecting growth of wages to come back to about 4.2% by mid-2027. Now, if you ask me, Getting a 4.2% pay rise, probably not too bad. But by the time you take off 30% tax, as you know, you're going to lose one2 of that. So really, it's probably only a 3% net pay rise. Who knows where inflation is going to be? But my word, I was about to say the F-bomb for the 86 time this. No, actually, been too bad today. But I don't want you to get to 2027 and be reliant on your employer or the average wage increase. You are not average you're learning not to be. Nothing wrong if that's what you want to be doing and that's what people choose to do, that's cool. But I'd imagine a big reason why you're listening to this is because you want to get out of that mould and you want to be above average, you want to be thinking different and you don't just want to be like, oh, what was the average increase of wages this year? Oh, it was 4%. Oh yeah, well mine was 5 That's pretty sweet. Mine's you know, effectively 25% higher or whatever 20% higher, whatever it works out to be cool, I'm doing pretty well. No, I want you to be thinking way bigger than that. And if Treasury are predicting it's going to get harder for businesses to give pay rises, then we need to be thinking more and we want to be thinking earlier so that before we get there, we're like, well, you know what? My increase was actually double, triple the average increase uh, that we saw last year, etc. cetera. So as always with this content, I'm trying to get you closer To making the decisions and and taking a commitment with a bit of courage, because you don't have the confidence yet, but you do have the capability, you're just scared, to make decisions earlier than what other people will be doing. And that's where the thank yous start coming through. And I did this, and sending into the the message to Instagram, for instance, and saying, hey, because of you, I thought about this, and I did this differently, I want to say thank you. So let's not... Like, let's stay ahead of the pack and let's stay ahead of the average and the data. We, want, we don't want to be in those statistics. We want to be way beyond them. We want to be dragging up the statistics and then teaching other people how to do the same thing as well. Most people won't take action, and it's not a zero sum game. It's not like everyone's going to miss out if everyone starts doing this stuff. People aren't going to do it. You know, people need to do the implementation piece for themselves. Now, I just want to say as well, you might be listening to this and you didn't even know that Keep The Change has an Instagram, and there's 17,000-ish people, close on 18,000 people who follow Keep The Change on Instagram. If you don't, I'd love you to jump over there and follow because there's always inspiration. I try and post it from readers, listeners, viewers, followers that have done cool shit. I try and put it up on the story, and it may just be the little nudge that you need in the right direction to be like, I can do the same thing as well yes, I can put myself out there and do some tutoring on the weekend to make some extra cash, et cetera, et cetera, Um, all those different things. You want to be following that to see what people inside the Keep The Change community are doing, the real changes, that's what we call them, the changes, because they are actually making changes and they are changing their lives, and by them doing that, they have got the ability to change other people's lives as well. So thank you to Ray Dalio, the true OG uh, investor, He has got some really cool videos if you want to go and dig in a little bit deeper to his stuff as well. I'm sure you will will learn a lot and it can be hard to get your head around. But in the meantime, I want you to look after yourself. Keep making progress. Keep your money on your mind. Stay on your toes. We're in interesting times, but it's an exciting time and we can learn a lot. And I will see you on the next episode of Money Mail.
1: Damn. Damn.
0: MC, make another hit. This ain't what you want. Project, project. This edge, ain't edge, what you want. Edge, edge. This ain't what you want. Ha. the block. I just wanna
1: rock I just wanna ah, 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 I just wanna rock Body out of the eye Shorty got that body out of the eye. Uh, uh. Hit it
0: once, no time Shut up, fuck, you gon' kill my bomb Stand on my money, don't know my side.